So welcome to this podcast of the Intensive Care Medicine. Uh, my name is Pedro Pova, and I'm Associate Editor of the ICM. Uh, that, as you all have seen and read, published recently, the ERS EasyCam Ask Need ALAP guidelines for the management of severe community acquired pneumonia with a long and prestigious list of authors. And this publication has been very welcomed by the clinicians and scientific community. And so far, it has more than 43,000 downloads and already one citation. So it's brilliant and congratulations to you. And today I have the privilege to interview the two first authors of these guidelines, Ignacio Martin Loeches and Tony Torres. Professor Ignacio Martin Loeches is a senior consultant uh, in the intensive care medicine at St. James Hospital and professor at the Trinity, Trinity College of Dublin. And Professor Tony Torres is full professor of medicine and pneumology at the Faculty of Medicine, University of Barcelona, also director of the um, Department of Pneumology of the Hospital Clinic um, of the University of Barcelona. And uh, he works in the Institute of Research Auguste Sunier in Barcelona and also in the CBERS um, and uh, do also uh, research in the Catalan Institute of Research and Advanced Studies. So um, uh, Ignacio and uh, Tony Torso, uh, it, congratulations for this publication. And um, I would like to ask you a couple of questions just to highlight some of the issues of these guidelines. And I will start with Ignacio. So what do you think is the main reason or the main driver to wrote guidelines on severe CAP and not on lean CAP? Well, thank you, uh, Pedro, for the introduction. And I would like to say uh, thank you to uh, ICM for hosting this, uh, uh, this, this webinar podcast. I think that is uh, great to have uh, the opportunity to, to have an informal chat about guidelines. Uh, the second thing that I would like to say before answering your question is I would like to say that um, Tony and I, we are uh, the chairs of these uh, guidelines, but obviously this is a very um, a joint effort from 22 uh, people over the world, uh, including uh, European and non-European uh, researchers. So why we consider that that was uh, an important topic is because when, as an intensive is when you are reading uh, guidelines uh, in, in CAP, you know, sometimes you have to really filter a lot until you get information that is relevant for a critically ill patients. So I think that this is the reason that many of the guidelines, they were so extensive that we couldn't really get the focus on uh, the, the topic that we are uh, looking after when we are uh, with um, sick patients in, in ICU with CAP. So I think that the main reason was to try to organize um, questions that they were really meaningful in order for clinical management. We didn't want to create questions that they were going to be uh, not having a practical implementation in daily practice. So, uh, and what about you, Tony? What do you think? Well, uh, uh, one of my my personal drivers is to know very well that the mortality of severe cap was and it is unacceptably high. 
we know this very well because we published observational studies here. And then I thought that uh, writing guidelines, specifically in Super Cup, we could perhaps in some years, if the guidelines are applied in the clinical practice to decrease this mortality. And the reason, the other second reason, uh, was that mentioned by by Ignacio, you know, that uh, uh, the message for severe cap in the general guidelines of community acquired pneumonia is diluted. And then I think that uh, we, we needed really this, these guidelines. So uh, it, it is interesting if we look at the, let's say last 10, 15 years, there are not that many new guidelines. There are the ATS-ITSA guidelines a couple of years ago, but not that many. How, so how do you, why do you think there's not that much interest on that? And what are the, the main differences between what is the common uh, CAP guidelines and your guidelines? Well, I think, thank you very much, Pedro. I think that, you know, probably, again, I think that to summarize, uh, there are many discoveries uh, in, in CAP in general. And I think that, uh, again, uh, many in severe CAP in particular. But I think that probably that is the, the reason that we, we needed to have uh, guidelines that they were going to help uh, management. So this is the reason that we decided to go to eight questions uh, that they were going to be implemented in clinical practice from uh, diagnosis uh, to management, general management, uh, including a specific management such as antibiotics and, and also duration of treatment, uh, some related to uh, viral infections, but we were obviously excluding COVID because many guidelines were published in that regard, and, and also coadjuvant treatments and eventually some uh, gray areas such as uh, aspiration pneumonia. So I think that the evidence was there, but uh, when you are looking at uh, the different societies, the problem is, again, it was uh, trying to be uh, to, to create a very big junk of uh, knowledge. And I think that this is the reason that we decided to go for severe CAP, because uh, I think that there was a need of focusing on a very specific type of patient, that this is the patient that is the sickest, as, as Tony mentioned, is the one who has a mortality that could be exceeding 40% uh, in many cases. Well, thank you. And so, and after doing uh, all this work uh, with this very big group of people from all over the world, as Ignacio just mentioned, you identified several gaps in knowledge. So, what do you consider the main opportunities for the research in the near future. Tony, what do you think? Well, uh, after doing this work, uh, this tremendous work, which is one of the reasons that there are not many guide, new guidelines, eh? the, the huge amount of work to, to complete that. Well, uh, the, 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 the gaps that I see, uh, clearly one is in diagnosis and uh, to, to study the molecular uh, platforms uh, and new diagnostic techniques to, to, to know the, microbio the, mi 
microbes causing severe cap in order to implement early treatments. This is a, a, a very useful clinical point. Uh, another point that I would like to mention uh, is the, the immunomodulatory and anti-inflammatory treatment. I think that we cannot do better with antibiotics with some exceptions. And then now we only have for, for that, we only have the, the evidence of corticosteroids, something that has been controversial for years. Now it seems more clear that uh, in patients with severe cap and shock, corticosteroids, hydrocortisone or, or methylprednisolone are useful, but we need, we have a lot of questions about corticosteroids and severe cap, but not only corticosteroids. I know that there are ongoing immunomodulatory treatments uh, to treat these patients as we did in COVID, no? Probably COVID helped us to open our mind to all these treatments. And uh, in consequence, to try to decrease mortality and then to work in personalized medicine to uh, apply these treatments for the specific uh, pheno, uh, genotypes that these patients can have. Thank you. Very, very good points. Ignacio, do you would like to add um, something to the, this nice comment? Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, to me, you know, the corticosteroid was a, a hot topic, and I uh, would like to confess that probably uh, created uh, the, the highest, uh, you know, discussion, if you wish, uh, among different, because I think that corticosteroids is a, is a topic that it brings a lot of passion on the table, despite of evidence there and here. So, but it's a topic that has been controversial. And at the same time, we needed to uh, create a document that was going to bring a consensus and, and to, to make a consensus of 22 people from different areas of the world was challenging. But I think that this uh, gives more validity to the guidelines. That is not just a random opinion. So it's really uh, something about more, you know, a structure uh behavior so i think that this is the first but i think that there are a few things that they are important so like for instance i think that molecular testing in my opinion uh, sometimes when i am uh, you know attending meetings we are talking about the near future and we are talking about uh, this type of uh, of of diagnosis and and sometimes the thing is that it's not near future i think that is the present and i think that in 2023 what we need is we need to have tools that they are going to help to diagnose better what we are dealing with. Unfortunately, sometimes, and this is something that I, I am particularly interested in, is that sometimes everything is about mortality and, and some particular outcomes. And, and yes, you know, there are some uh, points in our guidelines that they are taking into account mortality, but some others, like for instance, uh, molecular testing or the use of uh, biomarkers, that they don't really necessarily mean mortality, but is good clinical practice. And I think that this is the reason that sometimes these guidelines are going to help, not to impose to everyone, but at least to help physicians in different parts of the world to come to their boards and to say, 
Well, I would like to use this biomarker because it suggested that guidelines could help, but it's not a substitution of, of clinical judgment and the same with molecular testing. So some labs are having difficulties to convince boards, CEOs and, and financial managers to implement molecular testing. And I think that the molecular testing is something that needs to be uh, here. And we are not talking about any particular brand. I think that whichever company <laughs> that is providing a better and a more advanced uh, molecular testing is a good one. So I think that this is the reason that I consider that uh, these guidelines were uh, number one, trying to promote uh, interventions like combination therapy, the use of macrolides, and and of course, as you mentioned, Pedro, I think that we had the uh, we made the effort to have areas of research or areas of improvement. So we understood that not all the questions were going to be answered, and we left there like this is what we think that should be implemented in the future because it's going to help in the future to answer those. Thank you. So. Uh... I think the last topic would be uh, something related to the guideline implementation. So the, all the guidelines, there are always a time lag between the publication and implementation. With these important guidelines for uh, critical care patients, what I think would be the main problems and constraints for guideline implementation? Start with Ignacy this time. Well, this oh, is a Okay, this is a good question, Pedro. Uh, but uh, uh, first, I do not see main restrictions to uh, implement these guidelines in the clinical practice, except for molecular tests, because you have you need the molecular tests in the hospital, so they are easy to implement. They are the the, the measures that to apply uh, are not expensive first. Uh, we are not trying. We, we are not talking about uh, um, very expensive in, in monomodulatory agents. No, we are uh, just talking about uh, um, to improve uh, the management using macrolides in combination to beta lactams, detecting um, microorganisms or uh, suspecting. Uh, MDR, XDR microorganisms, um, um, advising about the treatment of uh, aspiration pneumonia, advising about corticosteroids. I think that after guidelines, many, many severe patients, uh, many patients with severe cap will be treated with corticosteroids. So I, I do not see it's just a matter of the uh, a leader or the director of the intensive care units. The, the units that receive these patients um, just uh, recommend to apply them. And I, I am sure that they will be applied because it is different in community acquired pneumonia as a global thing because there are many specialists involved. If you see community acquired pneumonia as an overall problem, then you have to uh, implicate uh, uh, general practitioners, emergency departments, infectologists, internal medicine, pulmonologists, etc. Now, this is focused to intensive care. I think it's not difficult. What do you think, Ignacio? Yeah, I agree, and I think that that was the the main goal of our of our work. You know, to try to to bring something for a very a specific group of uh, patients. So these are the patients that they had the highest mortality. 
and there are some interventions that and they are going to be trying to be firm in their in their way. So uh, we have to acknowledge that sometimes uh, when we are looking at the evidence, uh, we we had to score some of the evidence at not very strong because uh, we have to acknowledge that to do some uh, studies in critically ill patients is is really challenging, and I think that this is a reality of our days. So we always try to implement some uh, therapies and and we have seen these like for instance uh, uh, the corticoid uh, sorry the the macrolide uh, thin is a good example so the the majority of our studies uh, were observational and then the only study to the best of our knowledge that, that in a randomized controlled fashion that has been implemented for macrolides uh, did exclude uh, patients with uh, severe cap and that creates a, a bit of a challenge, but this, this is the reflecting of the, the type of patients that we are doing. And at the same time, we wanted to, to balance what is a big randomized clinical trial and what is also the room for personalized medicine. And I think that this is a, a matter of huge debate in many meetings. So would you like to have uh, many thousands of patients uh, to test a particular therapy, or do you need to only, uh, do it in a very, very individual way. And I think that both worlds, they need to come along. And I think that we are seeing that in the last uh, few years, we are doing more studies that they are targeting a very uh, selected uh, number of patients. So this is a reason, as an example that uh, Tony mentioned, we have seen two, probably the, the two major studies uh, of corticosteroids that they were published in ICM uh, with Meduri and one recently, uh, the week before we launched the guidelines in the New England Journal of Medicine. And you can see that, you know, our recommendation was in patients with severe CAP, only patients that they were in septic shock. So I think that we try to uh, give a recommendation based on evidence, but at the same time is creating a very specific personalized group of patients. So I think that I'm glad that at least we came along to something that is uh, really specific for patients with severe CAP. Great, so thank you very much. I think I have to congratulate you uh, on behalf of all the critical care physicians for achieving a very good document to treat a very frequent disease with a, with a very poor outcome and that has not been well addressed in previous guidelines. And I think as Tony said, I think this, could be, you were careful enough that the recommendations could be implemented almost everywhere in the world, in high-income countries, and also in low- and middle-income countries. And so thank you very much for your comments, for your time, and congratulations again. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Pedro. And, and I want to thank to Intensive Care Medicine as well for giving us the support and giving us the opportunity to, to do this podcast. Thanks a lot. And I would like to not to forget to to say thank you very much to the scientific societies involved that they were the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, uh, European uh, Respiratory Society, and the European Society of uh, uh, Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Disease and a lot. So without them, obviously, we would not have been able to do this, and obviously to the to the experts participating and to the readers to get. Uh, their feedback and and to have their their comments anytime they are welcome. Science is about about this.
communication. Thank you for this initiative. Thank Pedro. you. Thank, Thank you. you again. Thank you. Goodbye.